Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 3, and we shall be looking at the first three verses. Paul begins this section by saying, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. He says, finally, and the word finally does not mean he's at his last point because he's only halfway through the book. It is more of a transitional word saying finally of finishing up the thoughts and the teachings that he has done in the previous verses. He says, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Now the way Greek structure is, we have no idea when Paul says to write the same things to you is no trouble, whether he is talking about the statement, rejoice in the Lord, or the statement, look out for the dogs. We don't know if he is saying, I'm going to repeat rejoice, or I'm going to repeat watch out for false teachers. Either way, it's true. It is not the first or last time he has talked about joy, and it is not the first or last time he has talked about false teachers. And so he gets into false teachers by just starting with, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He doesn't say, These are three aspects of false teachers. He just starts in calling them names, basically, uh, describing how they are, how false teachers are. Now, in Paul's day, you had a very specific brand and flavor of false teacher. Jesus Christ is eternal, was not created Jesus Christ, according to the book of Hebrews, is the creator of everything. And so God said in Genesis, let there be light. It was Jesus Christ who created the light. Okay, that is the message and teaching in the book of Hebrews. And so when Paul was, he, I mean, he's very recent after the death resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. It is within decades of this happening. And Paul is presenting Jesus Christ as God, who Jesus Christ is, and there are those who stood against him. The primary people who stood against him are called Judaizers. Judaizers are throughout the book of Acts, They seem to follow Peter and Paul and John around. And their view was, we don't care if you believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus all day long. We don't care. However, you have to keep the Jewish law. You have to 
eat the right foods. You have to go to church on Saturday. You have to be circumcised. You have to uh, not mix wool and cotton. And these very, you know, all the 613 laws that are in the Old Testament, you can believe in Jesus, but you also had to memorize those and do those. And they were saying, if you do that, then you're saved. Then God will smile on you, your sins will be covered, and life will be grand. And these Judaizers plagued the New Testament teachers throughout the New Testament. Okay? It wasn't until uh, the temple got destroyed in 70 AD, and then uh, Jew the Jewish religion became illegal by the Romans in 132 A.D., and that pretty much wiped out the Judaizers. And if you look at the history, if you look at a graph of the growth of Christianity, when the Roman government made Jewish, the Jewish religion illegal, and you couldn't be found with Old Testament scriptures, okay? It's very similar to like Saudi Arabia today. You can't be found in the Bible, the Romans made it illegal. You look at a graph and Christianity's going along, going along. 132, when that happened, Christianity skyrocketed because all the Jews saw that God was shutting them down and exploding the Christian religion, and a lot of Jews became Christians at that time. And so you had Judaizers who were adding an extra weight. They were saying you could believe in Christ, but you had to have this extra burden of obedience on you. That was one group. Second group said Jesus Christ was a created being. He was the first created being. He is not God. He's very powerful. He's God's favorite, but he's not God. Okay, that became eventually the um, Aryan religion, the Arius religion, and eventually became the Jehovah's Witness, okay? A, a, a false teaching that existed in the time of Paul, we can even see today in a cult called the Jehovah's Witness. And that was another group that Paul was fighting against. You see that fighting against it in the gospel, uh, in the letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he kind of mentions that a bit. And the third were the Gnostics. The Gnostics say that anything that is physical, your bodies and things like that, are evil, that only spirit is good, and therefore Jesus did not have a physical body. Because if he had a physical body, he would have been evil. And so the Gnostics even back then, we're saying that he was a phantom. Today we might say hologram or something of this nature. He was just a projection of his spiritual being. You can still find Gnostics today. If you want to go to Santa Cruz, there are actually Gnostic bookstores on Pacific Avenue in Santa Cruz. This view of focus on the spirit and ignore the physical is very popular today in some groups. And so when Paul is talking about false teachers, there is not one specific group that he's talking about at this time that we can really point to. 
but he says that they are dogs. And the word for dogs is not cute little puppy. Uh, back in Paul's day, you had wilderness out around Jerusalem, and there would be packs of ravenous dogs. And they would be uh, gathering around looking for whatever they could find. And if you walked out there alone, you would be torn apart and devoured and there would be no trace left of you in a matter of minutes. Uh, these are the types of dogs that Paul is talking about here. And in the same way, if you play around with today, you say, well, Gnosticism looks pretty fun. Let's look at that, and you start playing around with it, there's a real possibility that spiritually it will devour you, and you will begin to look at Christianity as a false religion and Gnosticism as a true religion. If you play around with all the things that are out there, they can devour you so that spiritually there is nothing left, like the dogs would eat you up spiritually back then, the false religions today will eat you up and there will be no trace of your salvation left. He then says, evil workers. He says, look out, uh, let's see, look out for dogs, look out for evil doers. And the, the word there literally means those who work evil, those who create a project and start working on it, and the end is nothing but evil. And in this regard, it really holds true to the Judaizers, because the Judaizers would condemn your Christianity if you didn't dress right. They would condemn your Christianity if you didn't uh, prepare your food properly, and eat a kosher meal if you were eating with the Gentiles. And in the book of Acts, we have Peter having a difficulty with what kind of food should I eat in this one passage because the Gentiles that he was witnessing to could care less about kosher food. You know, they eat anything and everything, and Peter wanted to be with them, but he set himself apart out of fear, and he was, he was challenged by that, saying, you can't do that. As a Christian, we do not have to follow the dietary laws. We can eat basically whatever we want from the kosher standpoint, <clears throat> and if somebody is condemning you or following you around, constantly telling you you're doing wrong or constantly throwing ideas at you. We would call them working evil. They are not there to support you. They are there to add weight and make Christianity so difficult that you would fall away. And that is what some churches do today, that is what the Judaizers did. They made it so impossible to be a Christian. When we talk about what does it take to be a Christian, it's you believe we are saved by grace through faith. What is it that we have faith in? We have faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and him taking my sins during that death. And that is the 
basis of the gospel, the word gospel literally means good news. And when Paul is giving the gospel, he is going to these people who had an unknowable amount of laws, who woke up in the morning already behind the eight ball, not able to catch up, not able to do anything to gain God's favor. And the good news is, doing stuff has nothing to do with Christianity. It is all spiritual. It is all believing. It is all through, by grace, gift from God, through faith, our spirit, we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and in doing so, you're saved. And there's nothing else that has to be done. There's nothing else you have to prove. There's nothing else you have to earn. There's nothing else to get God's attention through. And then after that, we figure out, well, what kind of life do I live as a Christian? But I'm saved. I'm already secure. My name is already written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm already on the right path. Now I can work for God. And so people who put weight on other people, people who make it so difficult to believe, you have to memorize certain things or you have to dress a certain way. These are evildoers because they're keeping people out of the kingdom of God. If I give you so many false ideas of how to become a Christian, you may just throw up your hands and say, well, I, can't, I, can't, you know, I can never figure this out. I'll never do it. And then you're out of the kingdom of God, and that is evil. The evil work that they're doing is keeping people out of the kingdom of God. And he says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh in this section and the rest of three Paul is talking about circumcision. Circumcision is a command of God. If you read through the Old Testament, when God is talking with Abraham to begin with, he puts the requirement of circumcision to set the Jewish people apart from the rest of the world. And so it's a sign, and Paul says uh, in... Let's see, for one, circumcised on the eighth day. Verse 5, which we'll get to next week, he was circumcised on the eighth day. And even today, even today, there are Jewish boys who are being circumcised today if this is their eighth day on this planet. On the eighth day, you get circumcised. And people have asked the question, well, does it save? And I've talked to Jewish people about this, and they say, no, it does not save, but it enters you into the covenant. Circumcision does not save you, but you cannot be saved without it, is basically how they say. And so today you have um, Presbyterians, our group who do this, they baptize infants. They baptize by sprinkling infants. Other types of churches, your Episcopals, your Lutherans, your Catholics will baptize infants. And they say, 
and you can ask them, and they will say this, this is Protestant Gentile circumcision. What they are doing to the infants is they're opening the covenant to them so that God can begin doing work, so that God can begin working in their lives and bringing them to a point of salvation. And I've spoken with a Presbyterian minister, and he basically said the same thing. Infant baptism doesn't save, but you can't be saved without it. And I knew a guy who believed in his 30s, and at his 30s, he was baptized by the Presbyterian Church by sprinkling and pouring over because he didn't have it done when he was an infant. And so the idea is that I could say, well, I was baptized, therefore I can, and I was baptized, I can live like the devil, I can do whatever I want because I am standing in eternity on my baptism. There are people who have been baptized as an infant who can say, and some do say, I can do whatever I want, I can live however I want because I had this event when I was eight years old or eight days old, okay? And what Paul is saying is, your history of something done to you, and if you are circumcised or baptized when you're eight days old, you had nothing to do with it. You were taken, probably against your will, and taken to a church, and they poured and sprinkled water on you, probably against your will. You didn't want it. You had no idea what's going on. You just wanted food, okay, at eight days. But they say a stake is put in the ground, and that is what has saved me, and I can do whatever I want. And Paul is saying that's evil. Paul is saying that's nothing more than mutilating your flesh. If you're sticking to something that happened when you were eight days old and saying that is what saved you, if I don't believe anything today, and I don't live like anything today. But yet I've met people who say, oh yeah, I was raised in the church. There's a guy that I see every once in a while at the gym, and we talk about stuff. I tell the gym's right across the street from here, and I tell people at the gym, I'm the pastor of the church right across the street, and I point to it. And some people are, I didn't know there was a church across the street. Eh. So people aren't interested in these things. Other people say, oh yeah, I was raised in the church. Like that gives them some sort of stake in the ground that they're, they're going to make it with God because their parents as an infant and as an elementary school and junior high and perhaps even high schooler took them to church, and as soon as they graduated from high school, they never went back again. But they can look back on that event as somehow that makes us brothers in some sort of relationship because I was raised in church, they were raised in church. I believed what I was told when I was in church, 
they clearly did not. But the fact that a physical event, they went through some steps, they went through a ritual, brings them to the point of safety when it comes to eternity. There's nothing that you can point to in your past if you are not believing today. If you do not believe in anything today, there's nothing you can point to in your past that God will say, that saved you. Our belief must be ongoing, must be consistent, and it is the faith in grace through faith that saves us, that God will look at, that God will accept in eternity. Paul then turns it around and says, but who are the true people? Who are the good people? And he says, for we are the true, the circumcision, the true circumcision. We are people who entered into the covenant when they were eight days old and ran with it. And now in their tens and twenties and thirties and forties are believers in what Jesus Christ did. And Paul talks about in other parts of the New Testament, it is now a circumcision of the heart that God puts a mark on your heart when you truly believe. And it is that mark on your heart that causes us to continue to believe and continue to move forward. We have a, before we believe, we have a heart that's dead and dark and stone and Jesus turns it into flesh and makes it alive and we have a heart for God and so we are true in that way that when God looks at our heart he sees true obedience and true circumcision and true understanding and it is that that God will respond to and save. It is a spiritual circumcision. It is a spirit, it is a changing and it is a uh, conforming of our minds and our hearts to the things of God. We also worship by the Spirit of God when Paul was taught, not Paul, when Jesus. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well and he was talking about, uh, you know, you worship what you do not know and I worship what I do know and Jesus says there will be a time where I will teach people how to worship in spirit and in truth. And a lot of people take that and make all sorts of movements out of that very thing, but very simply, what it means is I have a spirit, and when I read the Bible, and when I pray, and when I worship on Sunday morning, what I do in my physical body does not matter as much as my spirit connecting to God, my spirit connecting to the Holy Spirit. It is a spiritual experience to be obedient to God. 
and you say, but that means I can do whatever I want to do? No, it means that through the Spirit, through spiritual understanding, you get in your Bible and you read it, and you read about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. That's the truth part. I have to know who God is to worship Him. I have to know who God is to believe in Him. I have to know who God is to worship and follow and be obedient. If I don't, then I'm just making things up as I go along. And if my spirit is making stuff up, it'll never turn out good. My spirit needs to be in a line with the Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of God, to be obedient and to understand. And so if I want to be a true teacher, if I want to be a true follower, I need to be in the Word of God. I need to have it open daily. I need to get into it and study it and get into the deeper understandings of how this relates to that and how this is a cross-reference to that. And I spend time, and some people, sadly, these days do not uh, follow Jesus Christ because to make it work to be a true follower of Christ does take time and it does take effort and energy. Some of the most difficult things you do in this life will be following Christ day by day. And he says, glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh, the word glory means to boast about. Now, we live in a society where people like to brag and people like to boast and people like to say, hey, look at me and I'm doing this and I'm so great and, you know, follow me in this style or follow me in this haircut or the things that various famous people do. And what Paul is saying is if it's okay to boast, if you want to boast, boast in Jesus Christ. Tell the world how Jesus Christ has saved you. Tell the world how great Jesus is. Be proud of Jesus and all that he did for you without you even asking. Before you were even born, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins knowing that you would come, knowing that you would be sinful. He died for future sins way back then. And we need to be people who, I don't advance myself. I don't say, hey, look at me, how great I am. I say, look at Christ. Look how great he is. Look at all the wonderful things he's done. I can only do this because of Jesus Christ. I can only do this because of what God has done by putting the Holy Spirit within me. In doing this, I can brag on God and not on myself. And so that's why, you know, we sing songs, shout to the Lord. Why do we shout to the Lord? Because he's done great things, because he's done amazing things, because he saved me. And I didn't do any of this myself. It is all God. God did all the heavy lifting, and so we can brag on him. 
And so one other comment on false teachers. Back in Paul's time when he's writing, he is talking about people who really defamed the Christian religion. In, in, uh, in his letters to Timothy, he talks about two people, Hymenaeus and Alexander. They were false teachers. They were kicked out of the church because they were false teachers. What was their false teaching? Their false teaching was that the resurrection had already happened and you've been left behind. And so they were getting people all scared and concerned that their belief was not good enough by saying that God had rejected them and left them behind. And that was a big enough sin that Paul kicked them out of the church and turned them over to Satan that they might learn repentance. He wanted them to get punished for that false teaching. They probably, on one hand, really believed in Jesus Christ and everything that was done on the cross, but they had the theology all backwards, saying that the order of events in the Bible that was being taught by Jesus didn't happen, that your belief basically was not good enough and God was going to leave you behind. And there's groups today that set false dates and things and that is the same sin of Hymenaeus and Alexander. And that level is a false teaching. I remember years ago when... Uh, I was talking about false teaching and somebody was saying they were quoting something uh, that they saw on Friends. Remember the old Friends TV show? And they thought it was profound what this thing was saying. And I said, well, that's a, that's a false teaching. Friends is false teaching. And they said, but it's not even about that. They're not on friends, they're not trying to talk about Jesus. And I said, that's the problem. I said, today, and even today, many years later, you turn on the TV and there's show after show after show after show, which is talking about how great humans are doing, or how great this is, or or here's a crime and we have to figure out what it is, and nowhere along the way do they pray. Nowhere along the way do they talk about Jesus. Do they go and talk to their pastor about wisdom in this situation? You don't see that on your average show today. You don't see that in the vast majority of the shows. And what it teaches us and it subliminally teaches us, I don't need God in my day-to-day -day activity. That I'll just be fine with my own wits about me. I'll be fine doing what I need to do. And if I get really stuck, which they never do on these TV shows, if I get really stuck, then maybe I'll go and find my Bible, or maybe I'll go and go to a church if I really get stuck. 
But the strength of the human spirit, the strength of the flesh, the strength of the human mind is what is presented on average TV shows, entertainment, movies today. And people have told me, well, they're just not about that. It's a different world. You have entertainment over here, and you have God over here. Trouble is, we follow entertainment a lot more than we follow God. We look for things that pique our interests, and none of this over here is teaching us to follow God better, is teaching us to follow God deeper. And so the world has been very successful in making our entertainment system nothing but a bunch of false teachers who turn us away from God. The more you know about God, the more you follow God. Your worship will be better. The outlook of how you see life will be better. Your days will be better. And your life will be the best that it can be if you focus everything on following God. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I praise you for this day. I praise you that you are patient in waiting for us, knowing that we can only find truth in you, that we can only find satisfaction in you, and the world and the flesh never amounts to anything. Lord, we praise you for that, and ask your blessing upon this time. We ask it through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.